Welcome to the Plutonomics Podcast with Lori Cammie and Barnaby Levin. The word Plutonomics means the study of wealth. It's our mission to educate, to help clients think about their goals and how they might benefit from working with an advisor to achieve them. But more importantly, it's to make sure our listeners understand both the pros and cons of any issue so they can make informed decisions and increase the odds of finding the right answer for them. You see, it's not who's right or wrong, but knowing there are no disinterested parties or unbiased opinions and that where you sit depends on where you stand. The challenge to making good decisions is to start by questioning one's assumptions and to break free of our prejudices because the truth usually lies somewhere in between. There are always two sides to every issue, both of which have merit. Last week, we spoke about ESG and impact investing, how these themes are central to Gen Z, yet they've actually been around for years and have evolved into one of the most important trends for businesses, consumers, and investors alike. Today, we want to focus on the world of fintech and decentralized finance to consider some of the innovation going on in everything from digital wallets and mobile payments to buy now, pay later lending and e-commerce. We want to highlight how the companies involved by reducing cost and removing friction are increasing accessibility across the financial industry and in so doing are posing a threat to some of our country's biggest banks. Let's start with what people are calling digital assets 2.0 or crypto, because that's what much of this is based on. There are now hundreds, if not thousands of tokens, along with their underlying blockchain networks. The largest, after Bitcoin, at just over a trillion, is Ethereum, with more than $422 billion in market value. But other networks, including such names as Cardano, Solana, and believe it or not, Dogecoin, which started out as a joke, today there's more than $25 billion of Dogecoin in circulation. As recently as two years ago, when, as we said in our podcast on Bitcoin, people didn't believe, like the early days of the internet, it is inevitably attracting the interest of pensions, hedge funds, and even the banks themselves, ranging from U.S. Bank and Ally Bank to BNY Mellon. Bitcoin has been endorsed by people like Stanley Druckenmiller, Bill Miller, and Paul Tudor Jones. And in a recent survey by Fidelity, while more than half of the 1,100 institutions they polled said that they already had exposure, more than 75% of professional investors in Europe and Asia said they plan to do so as well over the next 12 months. Many of those who haven't are just waiting for people like Gary Gensler at the SEC or Janet Yellen in Treasury to announce some sort of regulatory guidelines, partly because they're concerned about crypto's use as ransomware and in illegal money transfers. As a reminder, however, Bitcoin was at least in part created in response to the 2008 financial crisis, which resulted in an almost irrevocable or irreconcilable distrust of banks, both here and abroad. It was around then that Bitcoin's creator, someone by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto, proposed a novel peer-to-peer payment system based on something called a blockchain that didn't require third-party confirmation or for banks, governments, and other central authorities to be involved in the first place in settling transactions. I know 
it concerns you, Lori, that we don't know who he or she actually is, but it doesn't me. What I care about is what it is and how it works. Simply put, the blockchain is a database which is stored on individual, independent computers all over the world, hence the term decentralized. And each transaction is stored and posted chronologically and irrefutably. In other words, it can never be changed, deleted, or overwritten, period. And where every economy is always required trust at every step, which, I'm sorry, I don't feel, the blockchain, because it keeps track of everything without third-party intervention, has no need anymore for trust or faith. Every participant in a cryptoverse has a unique digital code that's impossible to forge. And at least in the case of Bitcoin, there's a finite number of coins that can ever be minted, which is 21 million. Today, there's about 19 million of them. And this scarcity creates a value that's now more or less based solely on demand. Remember, we always talk about supply and demand both in my Echoes reports and our podcast together, and how that drives everything from stocks and bonds to real estate. Well, since the supply of Bitcoin is fixed, when it comes to determining value, the only variable is demand. In fact, as Bill Miller said, Bitcoin may be the only asset where the higher it goes, the greater its value, because that's an indication of acceptance. You know, as I said, all kinds of serious and important financial institutions, from Fidelity to Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, well, they've been dipping their toes into the water, mainly due to customer demand, and to some degree, fear of missing out. But besides Satoshi's true identity, what really concerns me is this limited supply you speak of and how it may be losing some of its argument. As more and more cryptos and stable coins are introduced, I'm concerned about the volatility and the possible instability it may lead to with people who may not know any better or from those who do, they're only speculating. That said, it is companies like Square and PayPal and Coinbase who are truly leading the charge, not only launching platforms on which to trade or invest, but digital wallets to store one's tokens. And it was Square who recently announced they've been working on a hardware wallet they claim will allow people to securely store Bitcoin on a physical device. At this point, as I said, there's already a dizzying array of things like these cash apps for everything from credit cards and personal loans to mortgages and insurance. And all are being offered at a fraction of what the big money center banks have been charging. But that's a good thing, right? And at the center of it all is that little device we hold in the palm of our hand called a mobile phone that now has more storage and computing power than some of the big boxes I used to sell in the early 80s for tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Today, anyone with a cell phone, whether here in El Salvador or in the darkest heart of Africa, can send and receive money instantly, easily, and as securely as a wire without paying exorbitant fees in the process. Like we mentioned in our podcast on inflation versus deflation, despite the fact that delinquencies are at 15-year lows, credit cards are the only rates that still remain stubbornly high. It's what the banks are charging. Those rates are still in the low to mid-teens, which hurts lower and middle-income people the most. And as a result... 
the number of people switching to these new companies like Affirm and Square and PayPal with all their online cash apps is staggering. In the first quarter of this year alone, PayPal, for example, added 14.5 million net new accounts, bringing their total to 392 million, while logging more than $285 billion in payment value. And that's just one company. To the point where Jamie Dimon, who's CEO of J.P. Morgan, our country's largest bank by assets, is beginning to complain that fintech needs greater regulation because of their unfair advantages. In fact, there's a lot of people out there that say for everything from decentralized finance to non-fungible tokens and digital currencies, thanks to the blockchain, crypto isn't just an investment anymore. It's an entirely new economy. And on that point, we definitely agree. Digital cash and cryptocurrencies are rapidly evolving. And while some countries like El Salvador have embraced them, Others, like China, have outlawed them and made it illegal. And only time will tell where this all ends. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it with friends and family so they can enjoy it too. And please join us next week when we'll be discussing our country's education system and the critical role it plays in our future as a nation. This is Lori Cammy and Barnaby Levin for the Plutonomics Podcast, signing off. LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth are a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, and advisory services through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the process or investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and any investment opportunities referenced may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced are from sources believed to be reliable and any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Neither LK Wealth and Asset Management, LCK Wealth, or Hightower shall in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or for statements or errors contained in or admissions from the obtained data and information referenced. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced and such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of LK Wealth and Asset Management and LCK Wealth and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. 